welcome to the podcast. You know, when you were coming, I was, I was, I was seeing if I could find a Tears of the Zelda, uh, Tears of the Kingdom, uh, T-shirt. I couldn't find that. And interestingly, I was talking to a friend of mine who just said to me, like 15 minutes before I got on the podcast, that he completed 120 shrines on the ground. So he is like kicking it off, right? So for context, for folks who are listening, uh, me and Sid, when we first met, we were. I looked at Sid and I'm like, this looks like a gamer, you know? And he was like, yes, I am. So he's a huge uh, fan of the Zelda series, uh, apart from being an engineering manager at Route. So welcome to the podcast, Sid. Thank you. Thank you, David. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we want to stick to what this podcast is about, which is, you know, big ideas in app architecture. So we'll stick to talking about what you do at Route uh, as part of a conversation. But I do want to talk to you about where you are in Tears of the Kingdom. Without spoiling any fun, I'm around, I think, 135 shrines now. And uh, yes, yes. And I've collected most of the armor sets that uh, the game has to offer which is which is kind of fun i missed out on that in breath of the wild but this time i'm kind of so how many how many are there in total because somebody told me you have 36 in the sky and about 120 on the ground and then you have a bunch of them underground as well yes yes uh they're around i i, I believe there are like 152 shrines in total so quite quite a few shrines oh wow so you're pretty close to finishing the game up yeah i I'm kind of taking it slow because I wanted to do justice to the developers who made the game and made it look so beautiful. So I want to explore everything before I go into the, uh, you know, arc, which actually closes the story uh, for, the, for the game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, you are way ahead of me because I am like right now, uh, probably 20 shrines. 25 shrines like that's where i am right i'm way behind and i just uh, i think i'm also going to take my sweet time to complete them but again it's always you know fun to have people who are you know zelda fans on the podcast so <laughs> you're actually one of the first ones i'm talking to i just realized i should have asked other people about that too but anyways that's a weird segue but let's jump into the podcast and kind of talk to you about what you do at route uh, i know your role uh, at route is you know engineering manager and you lead a very important team at route but as we begin you know for folks who are listening why don't you help us understand kind of level set what does route do and you know what 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 it brings out uh, to the industry why is it important so route as a company is focused on the post purchase journey of a user uh, what that means is that once you actually check out a product after that you have a seamless experience and I'll go into the various product offerings that we have. We have protection, uh, which is uh, you can buy um, kind of an insurance on your package. So if it gets lost in transit or you have Porsche thieves or something, uh, you don't need to worry about it. And then the second piece of the uh, com- uh, the product is tracking. That's uh, while the package is out, you want to track it. It's kind of like an Amazon experience, but for all the other merchants as well. And that's the second product. Then the third product that we have is resolution. Um, if your package does get lost, um, how do you go about uh, kind of getting in touch with the consumer services so that you can get that uh, situation solved? And uh, the third, fourth part is uh, Engage, which is a newer product that we've got coming out. And uh, what it does is during your post purchase, that's while you check out, it recommends products to you. 
that could either be complementary or similar to things that you already have in the cart and would make sense to you. And you can engage with those products and we parts, um, uh, extend that, uh, pro- uh, extend that uh, product by including it into like your email campaigns or your notification campaigns, which allows the user, the consumer of that product, uh, uh, options on what else is available in the market, which might align with my interests. Yeah. That's, that's route as such. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So is it like the business is more B2B or it's B2C? That's a good question. So I would say half of the business is B2B and the other half is B2C. So the part where you uh, purchase protection, that's kind of uh, part of the B2B uh, chain as well as the engage product. And then we have tracking, which is a B2C product. So we have an app called Route. Um, do check it out. Um, you can go into it, uh, track all your packages would be at one place and uh, you'd be able to get tracking information um, on it rather than you having to go check your email, going to the uh, actual orders, uh, like carriers page and checking where it is in the journey. You can just go to the app and that's got everything consolidated and check where your package is in that journey and just move on, call it a day. Yeah, which is what I love to do. I'm like restless when I've ordered something and it hasn't come home, right? So, uh, for example, you know, I've like Amazon app has uh, the tracking information. And then as soon as I see 10 stops away, I'm like excited, like, okay, I'm getting ready. So uh, do you guys integrate with like Amazon as well as, you know, other, you know, services like shop uh, that provide you to purchase things, but then also you can do the route tracking for them? Yes, we do. Um, Our main focus is uh, Shopify. And uh, like the merchant platforms, so there's quite a few: the Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento. Um, then we've got Salesforce Cloud and uh, n number of uh, uh, platforms where you can go and set up your merchant store. And uh, we have app integration onto that, so you basically add the app into your uh, store, and it'll at post purchase uh, at checkout, it'll give you an option. Hey, like, do you want to purchase the route insurance? So at that point, you can purchase your route insurance and rest assured that uh, route will handle the rest for you if uh, something happens with the package. Yeah. Got it. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, especially for small businesses that are running on Shopify, providing some sort of a insurance opportunity for them to protect the, whatever they're sending is I think like a pretty, pretty interesting, uh, you know, value proposition. So, uh, is that one of the biggest selling points that you have uh, when you go uh, after, you know, users and, you know, customers about what Route offers? Like, what are the three things that you kind of tell them? Hey, use Route because we do these three things. Usually the user as such, the consumer as such is more uh, interested in the tracking capability, I would say. Um, the Protect offering as such just ties into it. And uh, if you have the Protect offering on it, then we uh, take care of the resolution if uh, your package gets lost. But uh, generally, anybody who installs the Route app does get the track offering as it is. So any user, um, you don't have to explicitly purchase route insurance and uh, uh, they go through that flow and we'll provide the tracking for you. Yeah, Got it. Yeah. And I'm just curious, maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but when you were sharing, I was thinking, do you also have to start thinking about when you have these route, you know, you know, stuff that you're sending to different people, packages going, do you have to think about optimizing which route uh, the, uh, you know, I would say the companies like FedEx or other who are delivering it have to take? Do you engage with them as well in that capacity? Yes. So we have carrier integrations, which engage with them. 
um, generally we use like a sum of uh, our own carrier integrations and uh, um, third-party aggregators to go provide that traffic data to our users. Yeah, Got it. Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, there's a lot of fun things that you're cooking. So let's dive into uh, a little bit more about what you do at Route, right? Like, so one thing that's clear is that you you are in a business that's focused on B2B and B2C, and then you enable this experience that you just shared. But what does your role entail? And so expand a little bit about what you do and the team that you take care of and, you know, different functions within it uh, for everyone who's listening. Perfect. Um, So my team, I would say, is literally the deep backend. If there was a backend as deep as the Marina Trench, it would probably be that. Um, So we have uh, the team is sitting over on the orders infrastructure. That's basically ingesting your packages and uh, post that once the package is there, what kind of notifications we want to send. That's also owned by us. In addition to uh, integrating directly with platforms, we also allow the users to allow us to uh, uh, hook up their emails directly to us and we parse their emails to figure out which packages are they tracking uh, in the app. And uh, that parsing capability as well as uh, connection capability also sits with my team. And the fourth thing that we have, that's the uh, engaged product. That's the product recommendations that we make uh, during the post-purchase checkout or uh, post uh, or email campaigns or uh, notifications. That also sits with my team. So literally like any product that Trout has somehow interfaces with the team's uh, um, general set of responsibilities. So you could say that, uh, you know, pretty hammered by requests on what's important at the time yeah 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 got it yeah so you you and your team like sit at the deep architecture uh, but you kind of are solving a very very critical function for the company right so the company for for us like um, this team as such is critical in its capacity to run most of the business operations that would reach out to the consumer and store in the knowledge that's coming in from our B2B side and uh, make that connection. So we are kind of like that, uh, I guess, like that routing box, which would uh, which would get the information from the business into the uh, uh, to the consumer as well. And, uh, of course, the information is also used to kind of uh, uh, give uh, good insights to the business as well on how. So it seems like you're looking at data as well. So to, to expand for me, like the different teams that you have, like, do you have like a database team? You have an infrastructure team, a uh, developer team? Like how, how does that work? I mean, for you. So I'll expand on, um, yeah, that. And um, the idea is that right now, how our teams are structured, most of the teams uh, operate on an operational model that we are end to end. So that means we generally take things from uh, development to deployment and uh, I would say a bit of QA also after that. And we tend to keep our deployments pipeline such that at least the obvious things get checked. And um, now how our teams are such a route are structured, there's a, uh, just to get something deployed, there's a lot of things involved. So we do have like a uh, person who's in the, uh, you know, I would say developer enablement as slash SRE slash platform engineering who's uh, who are empowering us uh, to 
let us focus on actually the business use cases and they provide the bare bones of uh, pipelines as well as uh, you know, infrastructure that is required to actually make us operational into the cloud. And um, yeah, yeah. So that person is generally not sitting with our team. They're like its own team and they empower us to make decisions independently so that we can move pretty quickly. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So you have a set of t- uh, folks who are saying, okay, they'll provide you what you need. They're basically bringing you the word, you know, they are bringing you everything that you need. I mean, think, going back to Tears of Zelda reference, you know, they provide all the things, but you essentially put it all together uh, based on what your business requirement are. Like an example would be, for example, like uh, GitLab pipelines. My team does not have to invest too much time into understanding GitLab pipelines and bringing that up. Um, we do have like a bare bone structure in place, which is plugged into the application, which is minimal, but it gets you there um, very quickly. Then after that, if you want to append stuff to it, that's kind of the team's responsibility as such. For example, um, you know, if you want to build in like integration tests or uh, functional tests as such. So those kind of things, they um, are built in by the team themselves because each team has a different way and style of uh, going about their testing pyramid. Uh, and uh, route gives you the option to kind of uh, work against uh, the things that you're comfortable and the choices that uh, best reflect the ecosystem of the software that uh, you're working with. Right. Yeah. And in this new exciting product that you're working on, that the Engage, it's, it's basically a totally different product, different from the route app, or is it part of the route app itself? The route app itself, gets the feedback from the engaged product so if you've got practices uh, which have recommendations against them those are usually the merchants that have integrated with the route ecosystem or have installed the route app they would carry recommendations if they're on the appropriate plan got it yeah and so i'm, I'm intrigued always right like whenever whenever you start companies right typically you have this one idea or you feel like well i want to build something and the, it should look like this so the first year of that company first few years they are focused on building that one service right but over a period they realize well there are other things that we can do with it like for let's say take the classic example of amazon which started off as you know selling books and then they you know expanded to do other things and now they are selling prime uh, which is video and then they're saying okay we'll sell you now products and so it's a classic example of where you start with an idea and then you look at the market and you realize that oh, there is a need for something else uh, that we can actually bring. Uh, and so this engage kind of feels like is an extension of how Route has expanded in the use cases that it's providing to the users. So tell me a little bit about if you were involved in it, like as to what what goes behind the scene as to thinking about, oh, well, we feel like we need something like engage for our users. Generally, the product itself was, uh, I have to say, a, a brainchild of our uh, product or as such. And uh, we've got like an amazing, uh, amazing team uh, looking at uh, what merchants are wanting. So we, um, we have an ecosystem, right? There are account executives and there are CSMs and uh, they're, unlike engineers, they're interacting with the merchants and prospective merchants on a daily basis. And, uh, they understand that, hey, like these are the things that merchants are interested in. And um, these are the things that we want to uh, you know, develop to keep the merchants who are with us uh, interested in this platform itself. And that feedback is kind of funneled into our product team. 
And that product team kind of uh, looks at that feedback, understands what merchants are kind of moving towards uh, without, uh, uh, you know, like hyperbolically discounting any future possibilities um, that the company wants to go explore. And then that feedback is kind of uh, put on the place of the engineer to develop uh, features that would at least address like um, uh, feedback that would help retain um, our merchants, which is amazing because we have like 98.1% retention at this point. And, um, uh, and we also, um, you know, prepare for any uh, enterprise merchants or big ticket merchants that want to come into the routing system over the next six months. And if they've requested for a specific feature, which is, uh, you know, like specific to their ecosystem. So that's how we, uh, on engineering side, you know, get that feedback. Uh, we funnel it through and then after that, kind of pull together uh, data with the uh, you know, data and the team and uh, the product team to kind of verify and justify the product capability as such. Yeah. Right. So that what you're essentially saying is uh, that there is no bad idea that exists out there until, you know, you. Yeah. Right. Which is fascinating because uh, I I feel like, you know, folks don't realize that, uh, especially one of the things what you said I really like is that you're getting active feedback from, you know, customer success team and people who are talking to these users and, you know, merchants who are on the field. And those that active feedback comes back into the company's, you know, tr- uh, tracker. And then from there, you understand product requirements and capabilities. So there essentially is no bad idea. There can be a merchant who might give you this you know, one person might feel is the silliest idea, but then you consider that. So, so you're talking about uh, that. So you got a feedback. So from that feedback, I wanted to understand how you've gone through this process of talking to the data team and understanding if there is some substance to this, okay, there is a viable product or a service or something that you can enhance in the product. How does your team get engaged after that? Like as an engineering manager, how do you get involved in the strategy for that and kind of laying out what needs to be built? So expand on that a little bit. That's a good question. So what we've done is the feedback once it's funneled in is not only like for certain set of eyes. It's quite transparent, the mechanism. Uh, we watch like Tableau dashboards where go and check that out. And there are multiple Google Sheets that are running around uh, to, yeah, that I keep like uh, bookmarked to make sure that, uh, you know, there's no surprises uh, as far as, uh, you know, product uh, features are concerned. So it's not like a complete pivot. If we are go- going into a, a, a product feature, which would, if you think about it, engage itself is kind of like a pivot from our uh, traditional offering, which is uh, protect, track and resolve. It kind of fits into the build really well. Where engage kind of came into place because uh, um, platforms, like, uh, you know, Shopify uh, introduced extensibility that allows you to plug uh, in things during their checkout flow. And um, yeah, yeah. So and the sheets are there. And generally, we uh, end up uh, reviewing these on a weekly basis, at least, uh, to make sure that, um, you know, at least the deals coming into the pipeline are the deals that we already have secured are not, uh, are, 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 are kind of getting the, value add that we want to we promise them uh, against route so it's it's a quite transparent process um and uh, like i said our product team kind of is uh, amazing they kind of keep us on our toes as well on the sdms as well and they make sure that um, if they are planning on going a certain route the sdm is generally engaged at the get-go 
to talk through the challenges that would be faced before we actually hit the engineering team and kind of introduce the idea to them and uh, go into a planning phase of how you want to execute against this in a timely manner. Yeah. Amazing. Now, that's great to know. So were you always like, I'm just curious, were you always passionate about this line of work and like doing uh, or building applications and helping build applications for companies and users? Like, let's dive into a little bit, like maybe this is the point where we go back a little bit into Sid's story as to what led you to you know, do what you're saying that you're doing right now. Yeah, like uh, I, I remember when, so I bought my first computer when I was in seventh grade It's in India and it was back in, I think, um, 2001 or something. And at that time, I was so, so surprised with this new thing you know like we had the tv and now i can do things with the tv you know for me as a child it was quite, quite interesting and uh, you know growing up uh, i went into computer science because of that because it kind of felt like um, I, I i could solution in a space where i was comfortable in and um, yeah yeah that kind of led my computer science background and uh, then i got into companies and i I'm inherently more interested in consumer-facing project um, products right now rather than much more deeper. Though, like recent with recent changes, like that can change. But uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, it's it's uh, incredible when you see and develop something and you put it out there, and then users interact with it, and they're like, "Hey, like you know, I was looking for something of the sort." uh to be in the market and this app does a really good job of it so that that kind of uh, really motivates me to kind of build apps that actually drive value towards uh, and the consumer and, um, and that's kind of the motivation behind why i like to do a lot of apps and build things that people actually use yeah yeah, it's amazing because I mean, I see a similarity and I have another friend actually who is, uh, uh, used to work at FedEx and uh, I mean, every time we would, you know, try to connect with them, he had such a busy schedule for almost a year and I would meet him and he's like, dude, where are you? And he's like, I'm working on very something really important, all of that. So I'm like, okay, no problem. And then finally we meet him after a year and he is, uh, he is like really excited about something. He's like, so we finished this project. I'm like, great. And then we're driving together and he sees the FedEx office, you know, so he used to work with FedEx, you know, and he's like, well, you see this new FedEx office, they have a new system right now. If you go and, uh, and kind of use it, that system is what we were working on. And I was like, dude, that's fascinating. Because like, it's there is this joy that I've seen when you complete a project, but there is more joy when you see your product being used by other people. So he literally was like, let's go inside and go check it out, check out the system. I'm like, <laughs> so we really went in and we saw the system that he was working on. And the funny thing is, while they were doing, uh, while we were interacting with the system, he found a bug in it. And then he called his team and like, oh, seems like this thing is not coming out or like some receipt or something like that. So uh, so it was it was really interesting to like, you know, see that. So to your point, right, when you build applications, there is this joy that you get that you're talking about when, you know, you build applications that folks use and that kind of makes a difference, which is really exciting. Yeah, that reminds me of my own anecdotes, you know, like while I'm using the route app myself, if something goes wrong with my parsing of emails or something, and then I raise my raise a bug from my own phone. Uh, hey, like, guys, we need to go fix it and then kind of transfer it into our queue um, without having it to kind of go through the whole route of uh, reproducing the bug because as such, it's right in front of you. you there's n- nothing that you can, and you, there's no need to reproduce it, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's the best way to like improve your own product, right? Like to use it as much as possible. I mean, I think there's this whole story of Steve Jobs, you know, when the first iPhone was coming out and I think they built a prototype and then he kept the iPhone in his pocket and uh, had the car keys and would w- drive drive around or w- use the phone for a certain amount of time and saw scratches on it and felt like they needed a different kind of glass that didn't have scratches on it. I think that led to the new form of, you know, you know, the phone glass that you keep on top of the phone, you know, so that led to the development of that. So I feel like what you're talking about is, in a sense, what <laughs> Steve Jobs did for the iPhone. So which is pretty interesting. Yeah, generally, when we come to the table, like, um, uh, it, at least through my own experience, I've seen that, uh, uh, you know, the devil's in the detail. And uh, like these small things, which often get ignored, uh, actually make for what builds a great consumer experience. And um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, sometimes you're more uh, tempted to go after the bigger fish. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, like this idea was so easy to implement and it draws so much uh, value for the consumer. And those, those ones, like I, I wait for those ideas to pop up. And uh, when we see the KPIs against it, it just blows your mind, you know. Like, oh, wow. This is this is this was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think great customer experience uh, being built into the app is so critical to the overall experience of what the company is trying to drive, right? I mean, many people feel like customer experience is driven by a UI experience, right? I mean, of course, it is true that a UI experience is important, but the way it performs, the way it uh, the app is always available, how it doesn't go down, how is it able to scale? I think those are so much more important variables that many people who are developing are not thinking about. But you in engineering positions are always thinking about, hey, we need to consider all these important functions that are true early or truly important for a good customer experience, right? So from that, I wanted to segue into this question that I was meaning to ask you was, these things are important. So how do you consider that into the architecture? And how do you think about the engineering decisions that you have to take when you're choosing that tech stack for that experience? That's a heavy question. Yes. Uh, choice of tech yeah. stack. It's a broad question. We can we can break it down and you know go go into that. Yeah. So in in route, uh, we have quite the consistent tech stack. We generally prefer to write uh, backend sources in GoLang. It's it's quite an opinionated uh, language in itself, and uh, which keeps the opinion of the developers on the lower side while you're reviewing code. So it minimizes the amount of uh, um, ways that you should be able to do stuff compared to languages like javascript and java which in which you can do like one thing a thousand ways and um, and opinions start to clash in those languages colang kind of reduces that for us now in terms of our infrastructure we generally choose the first choice is going with aws if aws does not have the thing that we require then we generally um, we look for third party uh, providers of that service. One of those would be, um, for convenience, like Databricks would be one of those services that we've uh, chosen, and as well as CockroachDB, uh, which is kind of like a high availability database um, that you all provide. Um, so those those are the major tech stack components that we have. So we default to AWS, then we have CockroachDB and uh, Databricks for our uh, you know data jobs, and as such. 
choice of new infrastructure is um, you know decided through a process of review, um, which is quite simple. I would say in in a team in the size of Raul, uh, generally each team has a very senior engineer. Uh, in my team, I have a principal engineer, and um, so before we make a choice on moving along with a certain piece of infrastructure, for example, you know, example being, hey, like I want to use Kafka instead of uh, Kinesis, or I want to use uh, Kinesis instead of uh, SNS, then we ask like basic questions, and we uh, at least that decision and that questioning is localized into the team. That are we going to be seeing uh, packets come in with greater than two fifty six KB? Do we need this? What is the additional functionality that we'd have to build to operationalize uh, something like Kinesis? Just an example of that would be, hey, like on SNS, you can go click in the AWS console to redrive stuff. Uh, does Kinesis provide the same kind of functionality? If it doesn't, how, how do we want to operationalize rerunning? Uh, our queues, um, uh, our topics, or you know, how do we want to operationalize uh, rerunning that payload on Kafka? So once those decisions are localized, like once those questions are localized, as such, we put together a proposal. Uh, we have at the highest level a, um, a technical architect, and he generally looks through the proposal to make sure that everything is sound. And um, yeah, yeah, and people are not getting too ambitious uh, with their <laughs> with their designs. I mean, it's 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 important. I think I mean I in my capacity at uh, you know. Um, you know, at Cockroach, I, Cockroach DB or Cockroach Labs, I work primarily with AWS, you know, and uh, I've really enjoyed the AWS platform and just the multifaceted solutions that they have, but not every solution really works for me and my requirements. So I think I've noticed in my conversations with other folks, even you, that sometimes not everything that they offer works as you expected, and then you go and pick something else. Uh, So, but the driver for picking something else is usually a requirement that you're trying to build it out, right? Uh, a high availability system or uh, you need multi-region capability or you're like, I want always on. Or you're like, well, I want to scale. So you're like, well, let's use the EKS and, you know, start. Uh, and when we were talking last time, you were talking about something that you're trying to explore with EKS. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that driver as to what led to you thinking that we need to move to something like this? And then why are you thinking about EKS? At the moment, we use um, uh, ECS, which is a great control plane. I have uh, no complaints against it. It's uh, quite easy to use, and we use uh, as such Fargate profiles in the back, so we don't have uh, we don't host, uh, host it on uh, EC2 servers. So our computer is pretty optimized when it uh, comes to uh, costing. And... Um, so there are a few things that the uh, EKS uh, domain kind of provide, and that's kind of the trend of the industry that's shifting left uh, into security and other stuff um, that that gives you a more fine-grained control over your traffic, uh, how you do your metrics, or even how you do your logs. And um, that's, that's something that uh, has at least sparked the debate in our company, company on looking at uh, more simpler solutions uh, towards that. And, um, you know, a- AWS itself is uh, keeping up uh, with that ecosystem by providing their own service discovery mechanisms because uh, one of the things that uh, I, I feel uh, 
folks don't realize is that you're not really investing in EKS from standpoint that you stand up EKS and that's that. And there's you're actually investing in the tooling that the Kubernetes infrastructure as such provides, which is separate from the control plane itself. And um, so while we invest in this, we have to be cautious about which tooling we want to go about using uh, in that um, ecosystem uh, so as not to uh, burden the team with exponential learning curves, uh, which would essentially slow down our product growth. And uh, so being specific about uh, what things we want and what what would drive the most value for us. You know, something like yeah, service discovery kind of drives automatic value for out of the box or even like a um you know Istio um like Istio itself with service discovery. Yeah, service mesh, that's uh, amazing. Like you just stand it up and all your metrics, uh all your traffic gets out through the onvile three L4 proxy and that gives you metrics at uh, you know, even before the uh, the call hits your application, so it removes kind of work off the plate of your own team. So your own, like my own team or anybody's team, won't have to be directly involved in putting in uh, specific sidecars in the ECS mechanism to go and um, you know scrape and get Prometheus me- metrics or put it stat stats D. Uh, sidecar to push those metrics that's kind of controlled by the control plane itself and uh, you can upload uh, something of that sort through a uh, I, I believe it's called a daemon uh, daemon thread or something in uh, EKS which uh, appends that sidecar onto your already deployed application and makes it seamless on that routing mechanism yeah yeah, yeah that's that's interesting I mean so so you have to think about the you know, efficiency that a new system brings to what your existing tool is versus the effort your team has to put into it, right? Like, so how do you how do you uh, go about making that decision, right? Like, do you also have a process or like as an engineering manager, you how do you research and kind of define that, okay, this is something really important and we need to build a case around why we need to use it, and, you know? So how do you do that? Generally, what I do is I take a dig at it myself first to see how bad it is, you know, uh, you know, it, 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 you can say it's, uh, you're ask, going to ask somebody to do this in the future, right? Or uh, at least provision something of this sort. So uh, having an understanding of it, ecosystem kind of helps talk through it. Um, and um, so that's how I start. Uh, I take a dig at it myself. I see how, um, you know, uh, up till now, I've, you know, this, this is my first time being an engineering manager. Up till now, I've been an engineer. So uh, my problem-solver framework is still the same. Hey, okay. Just learn the things that are important to you at this moment and see how quickly I can go from a zero to at least 95. And um, then I, I say, like, hey, like I was able to stand up an EKS cluster uh, via a you know infrastructure as code uh, mechanism that's like Terraform or something through my pipelines in a three days framework or something. And uh, based on the uh, experience that I've had in the industry and how quickly I've been able to stand up in this, how, how would my own team fare against uh, uh, getting apps deployed into the system? And can I do something so that they are not involved at all and this process is seamless? And so I tend to kind of take some time and answer those questions and go through uh, those, uh, you know, in, internally with myself. And uh, then I kind of talk to 
somebody who already has experience on those and see how their experience has gone. And AWS does, like, not only AWS, I think uh, most of the companies who've, uh, uh, you know, built uh, architecture on top of uh, uh, control planes like ECS or EKS or the one, I think Google says GK, GKS or something. And uh, GK, yeah. And they, they've written, like, beautiful blog posts which... Um, kind of guide you in the right direction so you're not like the first one who's going into this problem um the ecosystem is quite established and it might be worthwhile to gather that knowledge before you actually go ahead and act, uh, uh, fund that change so gathering that knowledge that what are the pain points that companies of our sizes have uh, faced now you know tying into your earlier question hey like uh, how many regions is our system deployed and if our region specific like our business is more specific to north america or uh then we would kind of keep most of our compute inside of north america us east one or us west two and um we are not in the place where uh we are deploying across um uh regions where we've got like in singapore or japan or even in uh germany uh, we're focused on yeah and so we can kind of send uh focus our uh, knowledge building on top of, uh, uh, you know, companies who've already faced these challenges and there are enough startups kind of adopting this technology that they've written enough. And there's enough knowledge floating around to guide us into a direction on the early challenges that we might face while uh, interfacing with this technology and while we're adopting this technology. So generally, my idea is to kind of gather that information, uh, form a framework of, uh, hey, like, these are the problems that we are going to face. And um, yeah, yeah. And then we kind of delve into that discussion where, hey, like how would this create value for the company? And um, and that's that's kind of the fra- framework I asked my team as well to use. And to be honest, like they are the ones who kind of influence this framework into me. Uh, this is just something that I train the newer people who join the team into yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. I mean, so there is also like this feedback mechanism where once you've kind of assessed something, uh, you go to your developer teams or development teams and they kind of give you feedback on what they feel about it. And there's this collaborative process of decision making. Right. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Um, one of the one of the thoughts I had when you were saying was like, especially around Kubernetes, like it's a brilliant project that came out of Google. Right. Uh, the, the ability uh, that it gave to enterprises to like of course, not just containerize, use containers, but kind of scale things out uh, in a pretty f- good fashion. And for where Route is right now, it definitely feels like is a great, you know, uh, thought leadership fundamental to think about scale in everything that you're building, right? Uh, so, so from that, I wanted to go back to uh, a question around in AWS itself and you know the journey at cl- to the cloud, right? Was uh, you know, route always from the very beginning, like a start on cloud kind of company, or was it like they had their own data centers and then they moved to the cloud? Like, tell me a little bit about the cloud journey and uh, or uh, how it all began, uh, if you if you know that. Uh, route is a fairly new company. Um, we've been in um, operations around four and a half years now, and uh, this is company kind of uh, came out a little bit po- uh, pre-COVID. And um, you can see why COVID would uh, boom the route business because basically folks are ordering packages at home. And uh, that means there are more thefts of packages and the protect, uh, track, resolve kind of worked really well 
and it kind of made the business use case for the company itself. And, uh, so we um, came through that. So it's fairly young, and AWS by that time, I think it was a fairly, I, I would say, um, mature ecosystem. So Route has always been on AWS, and um, Route uh, from the get go adopted GitLab as their hosting platform. And GitLab provides uh, uh, pipelines. Uh, uh, inherent native to their platform, which kind of played into the philosophy of, uh, uh, you know, having software de- deployed like multiple times a day rather than just the once. In the beginning, I believe like, um, and this is m- before me, but uh, I'm still owning some of that infrastructure so I can talk about it. So in the beginning, and I think the deployment mechanism was more manual, but as the teams kind of grew, um, it was great that the leaders invested in, uh, you know, developer enablement as well as uh, site reliability engineering teams that allowed uh, for us to reach a place where, uh, you know, by the time I joined, I think um, in a couple of months only uh, from the time I joined, we were in a continuous integration mode. Um, that's when the only time you have to click a button is when we deploy to prod. And um, so it, it was a fairly good mechanism. So we were deploying at uh, say a velocity of like at least four, four or five uh, deployments, uh, uh, big deployments a week, and then smaller deployments is going uh, uh, through the whole day. Right, right. Oh, that's interesting because I think my whole experience too on AWS was initially like I was I would get those free credits, like three hundred dollars of credits, and start using it, and and then I started loving the fact that pretty much everything I need is available there. Uh, but then again, I, I reached a point where I needed to like figure out if I have to build so much infrastructure, I have to build route tables and I have to put, uh, you know, the security groups and everything. I can't do this manually. So I started using Terraform and I'm like a huge Terraform, um, uh, you know, advocate. I feel like it's it's pretty good infrastructure as a code solution that, you know, works in multiple environments, obviously, but uh, really helps me map out how I want to put my infrastructure together. So that maturity uh, and building that into a company, especially, is really critical, I feel, as you try to scale. Yeah, and, and there's been um, a lot of conversation around it, uh, around the operating models of teams on how you can deliver product really quickly. And um, I, I, I don't know if you read this. There's this book that came out, I think, in 2019. It's called Accelerate. And uh, it basically talks about, um, um, hey, it's a fact, an analysis of what a high-performing team is. And one of the things that they noticed as a metric of high-performing team is uh, how quickly are your deploys getting into uh, in front of the customer. And um, because uh, right now the market that we are in, uh, you're running against time because everybody has access to the technology that you have access to. So if you're thinking of, uh, if you uh, have just started kind of a unique space, which routed like the package protection, then the competitors are going to show up sooner or later. And um, how can we keep ourselves at the, I would say, the cutting edge of our offering to them so that, you know, merchants uh, don't churn away to um, other folks is by keeping our, our technology stack in, in a manner that allows us to innovate much more quickly and uh, be ahead of the game. Uh, so, yeah, that I, and I, your comment around like infrastructure as code kind of started that, um, uh, you know, thought, yes, 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 change of thought. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was going to say uh, when you were saying, right, like 
I mean, it's so critical for, you know, whatever your teams are building for it to have, uh, you know, feedback right from users, right? I've seen engineering teams that go back and have this brilliant idea um, and they they work on that idea for almost a year. Sometimes it takes 18 months. They're making changes and eventually it goes into production and then it's a dud in in, in the sense like they've, they've got the feedback so late by the time things have moved on. And in today's day and age when people want quick experience, quick feedback, everything has to move quickly. You know, having things planned out in microservices infrastructure kind of really helps out. And I think that allows you to like look at everything that you're building, uh, you know, in silo and kind of get feedbacks quickly. So uh, it seems like you have that kind of an approach at Route. Yeah, like uh, whenever we, what we tend to do at Route you know, during uh, product deployments is once we've deployed the product, we definitely uh, track the success KPIs behind it. And sometimes things work out, sometimes things don't. Um, sometimes the product is adopted really quickly. And uh, sometimes there are, um, uh, you know, challenges that are not essentially with the technology, but by how the technology is communicated uh, to people who, for whom the value uh, would be created. You know, for example, like, uh, you know, chat GPT itself, uh, um, it probably creates a lot of value for me and you um, being in the tech sector, but uh, for a plumber, I don't think it could create that much value. So trying to sell a technology solution which probably utilizes AI to make their work easier would be a harder sell. So th- that's that's kind of the balancing act. E- even if you have a great product, it's a whole team that comes together to actually get it into the hands of the consumers. And I feel like the consumer feedback when it comes when somebody already has that product in hand is super critical at that point. Because not only were you able to build a good product, people adopted it, which is kind of the biggest thing for any startup kind of going out there and becoming successful. But on adoption, what's the feedback you get and how quickly can you um, uh, like you know, rally behind the feedback that you get and fix the problems or at least extend the solution? Uh, in a manner that uh, allows for uh, the consumer to make it more, I would say, natural of an experience for them. And I think that's the, uh, from for where you are as a, as a startup and, you know, where I feel a lot of folks have to, certain risks are important. You know, you have to go after certain things that you believe in that, that can enhance your overall portfolio. And I think what Route kind of offers is this very whole, you know, 360 experience for a merchant where, one-stop shop where you have everything uh, that is always available uh, and is providing you with the best information uh, that they can, you know, take or look at to, you know, provide good experience to their users, you know, who are eventually buying their products. So I think that's, it's, it's good. And I, I'm super glad that we have companies like Route that exist and, you know, engineering managers and engineering teams who are trying to solve these problems such as you. So it's, it's brilliant. Uh, I wanted to ask you this just out of curiosity. I mean, usually I don't go into cockroach-related stuff or cockroach DB stuff, but uh, I wanted to ask you, you have an infrastructure design right now where you basically operate within the US. So you have US East 1, US West 2. Those are your two territories. Uh, what led you to like pick cockroach DB? The decision predates me. Uh, so our CTO, uh, the previous CTO, he was coming from Qualtrics. Cockroach was quite successful. Um, has been, I don't know if they're still adopting it, but yeah, uh, was quite successfully adopted into Qualtrics. And when he came in here, 
um, they had to make a choice on the database where the orders orders would be stored. So, you know, orders are right now the crux of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the bread and butter. Like if that goes down, we're uh, yeah, we're not in a good spot. So, and he, uh, you know, at, in those early phases of the company, um, the general idea is how can I adopt something which does not require my developers to spend a considerable amount of time on learning and um, cockroach with its you know easy to use sql interface uh kind of fit that bill um, that hey like we've got distributed compute uh, we've got relational uh matching in here and we've got a language that most of the engineers know and um, so let's let's kind of uh, uh put ourselves in a position which will allow us to scale for the loads that we are going to see. And right now, like um, I remember like my uh, uh, current, um, you know, my, my manager, he, he, he told me that um, at one time he had uh, dropped like uh, 11 million rows, uh, 1.8 million rows. Yeah. Uh, from Cockroach. And this was in the early, early days. And, uh, and uh, compare and contrast now we have 12.1 terabytes sitting inside of Cockroach. cluster. All right. So, so, yeah. That's that. Whoever made that choice kind of uh, understood that uh, Cockroach kind of provides a mechanism for you to scale where the, um, you know, without having to really, really uh, affect the team's velocity while the adoption is uh, um, is going on. So, I, I feel like you know that's that's. The biggest, I feel like the biggest uh, selling point for at least Cockroach for me is, yeah, it allows you to use a uh, friendly um, language, which everybody, like people out of school, people are taught relational databases are in school and uh, uh, they're, they're like, this is this is SQL. So when they come into a job, it's not like, hey, like this is MongoDB, this got a separate server. Uh, query system and then this is DynamoDB this got a separate thing and um, yeah. so it, it's it's relatively easier to just adopt this technology rather than having to spend too much time yeah no, I, I love that too I mean I've been interesting that you brought up the uh, you know the fundamental idea of SQL being the language to talk to data because it's still getting taught in universities and everybody's still uh, so I mean I know there are different databases that have gone different directions with how they want folks to interact with, but with distributed systems and having that layer of SQL, I feel is amazing because it allows you to do pretty much everything that you're used to doing, but now at a distributed scale. The other thing I was just fascinated by what you just said was for you, the most critical system is orders, right? And orders have to be rarely consistent because if you have to show those orders out to different people uh, or merchants, right, it, it has to be strongly consistent. And I think across multiple regions, it's it's very valuable. So it, it's great uh, that we, we see value of the product being used in that way uh, at Route as well. So it's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I know we have we are almost hitting uh, our limit or the way I see this is usually this is one of our first conversations and we have so much to unravel, but usually an hour is like great for, you know, a, a beginning. Uh, so I wanted to ask you another question as we kind of close things out, you know, working as an engineering manager, you know, what else do you do? Like to how do you uh, kind of stay on top of what's happening in technology? 
as well as you know focus on uh, you know playing zelda and keeping up with all the 100 120 130 shrines that you have to unlock how do you do that so how do you manage all of that around 5 years ago i was pretty overwhelmed with what's happening in technology it's just too hard to keep up you like there's so many things coming left right and center and um, so i had to kind of identify how do i want to uh, start learning about things and uh, do i want to focus on only one thing or do i want to focus on everything and um, so i uh, after like a little bit of soul searching what i started doing was i started reading research papers and this is this is how i learned i started re- re- reading research papers and when i read a research paper the first time it took me at least a month to understand what did this person say so it was a very heavy literature and uh, so i kept doing that and uh, eventually i reached a point where difficult concepts uh, became easier to understand and that time period started shrinking for me and um, now i'm at a point where i can look at documentation and uh, you know just because my basics like you know distributed systems and everything are pretty flushed out thanks to all those research papers um so it's easier for me to i would say grab on to concepts uh quickly and i i don't have to spend like a, a large amount of time trying to understand it because i feel like there's a lot of solutions in the market and understanding the value benefit of each of them much more quickly would help you kind of execute on things that would make uh would drive value for yourself and um, you know an example would be hey like trunk based development is quite the industry standard right now but there are still products out there which uh, work on feature based development uh, feature branch based development so i probably want to focus more on uh products that are trunk based rather than uh, on feature branch based because that introduces a lot of complexity so that initial process that i followed that hey like let me read about hard things so that i can get my basics straight and uh, when i got through that and i i also realized that i need not practice everything i just need to practice things that drive value for me and then i practice those and now i'm at a place where allows me to take decisions quickly kind of bring up uh, if i want to uh, you know uh try out something new then i'm not uh, I, i would say i don't have like that feeling that caution oh, like i'm going to fail all right at this point because it's so tough and novel now i'm at a point where i'm like something's going to happen i know what's going to happen but whatever happens i'm going to be able to deal with it yeah so that that's kind of the mindset that i've uh, evolved i was going to ask you a question after this like uh, your advice to folks to like but you kind of kind of alluded to what your recommendation is for people right like one of the things is like the fundamental idea like see go read research papers right like and i also had this fear right like and it's always intimidating to go read a dissertation or a you know research paper that somebody has written they've spent 3 years onto it and then you're trying to digest and understand it and it feels a little intimidating and you have imposter syndrome sometimes which i have all the time you know uh, but so so it's there is a lot of humility in 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 what you said that hey go read something and it might be complex for you in the beginning but as you do something more uh, you know it's like it'll get better and towards the end it's just going to benefit you and the teams that you work with yeah like the mind itself is a muscle you uh, you exercise it it'll become better and better you know just like the body and um, 
I, I got into the habit of just exercising it a little bit from time to time. And uh, generally, like, you know, uh, now that you've asked for the advice, like, it's not only in, important, like, at least in the modern industry, um, it's not only important that you are technically sound, but it's uh, even more critical that you're able to communicate that in a, uh, a fashion that is digestible by other folks. And this is where kind of uh, Richard Feynman's, uh, uh, you know, philosophy of learning kind of uh, plays into that if you're not able to explain something to another person in a period of two minutes, then probably you've not understood it well enough yourself. And uh, it might be a time, it might be time to kind of go back, see and understand it a little bit better so that you can explain that uh, thing to a layman in a period of two minutes and they're able to ask uh, questions on uh, on that uh, two minute statement that you made to them. And uh, that's that's kind of been my litmus test. I'm sorry to say my wife's been my guinea pig and uh, <laughs> for the longest time. Oh, which wife is not? <laughs> I mean, I, I always go bounce my ideas uh, with my wife and she's like, I don't get it, man. So, so yeah, I mean, but you know, what you said is words to live by, right? Like if you can't explain something to somebody in two minutes, I mean, uh, there's an art to pitching. There's an art to, uh, you know, being able to articulate ideas and especially in positions where you are, um, you have to come up with, you have to digest so much information and be able to like bring it uh, uh, in front of people and say, okay, this is what this helps us do and kind of summarize all of that. So that's, I feel is a great advice and words to live by, you know, so amazing. Siddharth, I mean, uh, Siddhartha or Sid, you know, and a fellow uh, Tears of the Kingdom, uh, you know, uh, player, I would say it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, you know, on the podcast, and it's been a great conversation. And I'm gonna let you uh, let you go and l- help you finish up all those shrines that you're finishing up, and that you need to find. <laughs> so. Thank you so much, David. This was a talk. Yeah, I had fun. All right, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs>